G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Podcast 92. It's uh, Matt Rowley. Uh, we're sponsored as usual by strike.com.au, Australia's uh, biggest suppliers of Bluetooth car kits. Uh, back from uh, a rotation period is uh, Mr. Tims. Mate, how are you? Mate, I'm not too bad. I've done my homework, so you've let me back on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's a hot topic. Actually, we might have to talk about that later. Um, yeah, do it later. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah, so good, yeah, good to have it. And uh, I saw you submitted that. Um, your dog hadn't eaten at this time, so yes. it, was, it was good to see. Um, but uh, joining us straight off the bat tonight is uh, all the way from Perth, Nathan Charles of the Western Force. Mate, how are you? Very well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having us on here. No, well, thanks for thanks for joining. Pleasure. Yeah, um, mate. Uh, you know, I know you probably haven't even had breakfast there yet, with the time zone difference <laughs> and, and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but um, look. I thought we'd start off, kind of take us back. How did you kind of get into rugby in the first place? Because I did have a little bit of look at the wiki, and I know that you dabbled with a few sports, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I guess when I was uh, younger, my family was always a rugby-orientated family. Uh, my dad played footy for Willoughby Subbies and Gordon back in the day, and my brother grew up playing footy as well at school and whatnot. And then, as yeah, when I was old enough, I think it was five or six, I straight into to rugby union. And uh, we lived um, in uh, sort of the Parramatta region, um, so that was dominated by rugby league. And yeah, I used to dabble in uh, on the league as well. Because I, I mean, I read on the on your wiki page, um, which is that you actually you had a deal kind of sat there ready for you, didn't you? And it was down to whether you played for the schoolboys or not, is that right? I actually, in 2005, I believe it was, I actually had signed a, a deal with the Canterbury Bulldogs Rugby League. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I did have a condition in my in that contract. Uh, that was like the, that was when the, the under-20s competition got brought in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I was signed up to that. But I had a condition where if I made Australian schoolboys, I could, uh, could negate that contract and, you know, either yeah, choose what I wanted to do further further on that, and you know, rugby union was always um, always was one I played uh, predominantly, so I wanted to give that a crack first and foremost. Okay, so that, that's pretty impressive, though, threatening to uh, code hop to boost the value of your contract on your very first contract. <laughs> 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 well, it was Jeez. it was that, there was I actually got picked up at a um, under 16s um, rugby union tournament, so. Um, oh. They were very understanding, and they were they were they were fantastic to deal with at the, at the Bulldogs. And I, I do think they um, uh, developed my my skills and fear further than uh, more so, especially in defence. So um, I've got no regrets at all. Cool. And, and what I love to hear there is that your dad only played subbies rugby, um, and, and and yet there you are, mate. Um, you know, pretty much uh, top level because that gives me hope for my son. Uh, <laughs> well. Yeah, I think I think he dabbled in. Um, I don't know how it worked back in the day. He dabbled for Gordon, but he never really took it too seriously. And uh, my uncle actually still plays Golden Oldies footy for the the legless Penrith Emu. So um, <laughs> that's a that's a fine pedigree, mate. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's a fine. Uh, they, they just love the footy, and 
uh, yeah, dad played subbies, I think, more so for the drinking aspect more than anything. Um, and, yeah, just the culture of rugby uh, is, is fantastic. And, um, yeah, ever ever since I was growing up, I always wanted to um, be, a, be a professional rugby player and you know, aspired the, to the Tim Horns. And um, later in my career, uh, well, later in my younger years, um, the Phil Kearns and Brennan Cannons, because uh, I knew that's the way I was heading. Okay. Well, that's good to know. It's good to know I'm bringing up my son the right way then. Um, if you know, for him to head for the top level. When I when I'm saying you, that was the way I was heading. I was uh, I actually started out on the wing and slowly made my way to the front row. So uh, all of us think all of us think we've got a winger inside us. I think. Mate, it's a, long, it's a long way to the top, but you've got to get there somehow. So. Yeah, you, you have to try. <laughs> well, mate, it came to the fore. Like uh, you know, the last game wasn't it? Was the Bulls the, that chip kick? I did, yes. That was um, it, lucky. It got a good bounce, and it just worked out for me. Oh wow! How, how much have you been uh, showing off about that, or did you get a kicking about it? Um, to be honest, it was nothing really. The boys just were a little bit, I guess, uh, shocked that I actually managed to pull it off. But <laughs> it's something. It's something. It's something I like to muck around with the training and just do a bit of few warm ups, five chip and chases in the warm up or something like that, just for a bit of fun. Well, oh, mate, what, what would a warm up? What would a warm-up be if never, you know, the front row weren't doing drop kicks, you know, drop kick <laughs> I never thought it would come to fruition, so, um, but, you know, I'm glad it worked out. That's sounding like a penthouse ladder. I never thought it would happen to me, but... Um, <laughs> uh, so, cool, mate, so, well, that's, that's great to know. So, um, but then I saw that, did you have a, you went to the Brumbies, was that 2009-10, and then you even had, a, did you have a quick stint in the UK? I did. I um, I was with the Brumbies Professional Academy, so like I was just on the um, right on the edge. Uh, I was travelling behind Huey Edmonds and Stephen Moore at the time, and uh, it was a massive development period for myself. And then during 2010, the Force had uh, some injury woes, and I, managed, I got signed on a short-term contract from the Brumbies to the Force, and then uh, managed to play my first game against the Stormers middle of 2010 season, and then just ended up staying at the Force ever since, so it ended up working out work very well for me. Yeah. And then in uh, 2011, uh, during the World Cup period, I uh, just put the idea, I heard people had uh, uh, gone during World Cup periods overseas to fill in um, in teams, and I thought that'd be a fantastic idea, and I've, I've got a European passport, so it uh, sort of just worked out very well that I managed to get a gig with Gloucester Rugby over in the Aviva Premiership, and um, thoroughly enjoyed my time over there. I was only there for six weeks to two months, but mm. yeah, thoroughly enjoyed my time living there, and then made a lot of uh, new mates, and um, and also in, enjoyed the, the the new experience of um, Premiership rugby, which was extremely different but uh, very enjoyable, and again developed a lot uh, in my game. So that, that's a bit of a scoop, isn't it? Someone lived in England and enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, it was a new experience for me, so uh, it, it, everything was quite enjoyable. It was a new experience, like I said, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but, and had, well, I, I can't leave it, you know, just on that chip kicking. I mean, you and Hugh, Hugh um, Edmonds must have been, you know, having, you know, competitions where you had little chip kicks uh, when you are at the Bumbers. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's known for it. He, he, he's a very talented player. Again, he, he started out in the backs and played in the centres a bit himself, so, um, yeah, I, we we never uh, we never did uh, compete in that sort of area, but I did see him do it a few times. So yeah. you know, got to try. He, he can't have one up on me. No, exactly. No, there's a fine tradition uh, to carry on there. But you, so, just talking about that, your stint in Gloucester. 
how did you find it? I mean, everyone always talks about you know the you know the differences and um, you know in Australian rugby versus especially I mean I guess English rugby would be a pretty good thing to uh, you know kind of uh, compare it to, especially when it comes to tight five and, and front row work. Did you was it a big change for you when when you were there? How did you find it? It was yeah, it, it was um, quite a change actually. It's it's I guess the weather really depicts what sort of game you play, and I was quite fortunate. Um, in the games I did play, um, you know, majority of them were in good conditions and it was quite uh, nice running rugby. But in the front row and the forward pack, essentially, it's, it's a massive, like, I guess, uh, you know, who's the alpha male? Because if you get an ascendancy in the scrum, everyone knows that you just keep going, you keep going, same them all and um, pick and drive and sort of thing like that. And really, the forwards really can dictate a game. Um, and, the, you know, the crowd sort of really appreciates it over there. Yeah. If you've got a scrum five metres out and you you get over and you score a, uh, a pushover try, you call it score a penalty try, I've never seen a crowd go so berserk over over that sort of play before. It's, it's really appreciated. Yeah. Um, so I guess that, that's the mentality over there. Um, and just, I guess, getting that that sort of mentality and being able to bring that back to, so, uh, I guess, the force um, was quite... Um, it's quite beneficial for us because I guess in Super Rugby we play in great um, playing conditions and uh, really the set piece is only a platform to, for attacking rugby instead of uh, I believe it's used as an attacking weapon in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. Um, and I think that's uh, it can be at times you know a surprise weapon and I think the Brumbies are definitely using it that way this year so far in the Super Rugby um, competition. Yeah, I mean we've just been, it's something we've, we've talked to Laurie a couple of times on the podcast actually, but. The thing I walked away from watching that game where they dismantled the Tars on the weekend was, I mean, you know, Laurie Fisher has to have his, has his name on, you know, Wallaby Ford coach in the future, surely. I mean, he, the impact he's having on that team is, 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 is huge. And they were so dominant in, in, in that game on Saturday. Yeah, they were. To be honest, I didn't get to watch the whole thing, but I watched the highlights and... Um... It just it, it did look like they in the forward pack they just um, they got on a roll and that that continued and allowed the backs um, you know, plenty of space to attack from. Um, but yeah, they, it looks like they've got a fantastic setup down there um, and they're doing all the right things. Um, and you know that's uh, that's that's the way we're feeling at the force. You know, we're looking we've got a great coaching uh, structure in place and we're looking at building just like the Brumbies did. You know, sort of two years ago. Yeah. And so, mate. Um, you know, speaking about that, then. So, what's it look like there as far as um, you know? You obviously got Foles, who is an um, a, you know a poorly experienced man at hooker as well. Um, you know, what's it look like there? Who, who tends to run the forwards and does the tight stuff at the force with you? Uh, well, a lot of the um, uh, line out and scrum stuff is is still uh, Nick Stiles. The forwards coach is yeah. run by a lot by him. Yeah. Foles is all, Foles is always around, and technically, like he's one of the best uh, you know that I've ever experienced in, in terms of coaching. Mm. And he always, um, you know, if there's something that needs to be said, he, he pops it in, and it's things that you know you don't you wouldn't pick up yourself as a player. So it's great to have that, and especially like you said, he's a very experienced um, international, you know, former international hooker. Mm. It's great to have that, especially for my development. Um, it's great to have that him there guiding me through the the right ways, and um, it's all about making yourself a complete player. And I believe you know he's uh, pushing me in that right direction. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's great having you know obviously Nick Styles is a former Wallaby as well. So 
two-thirds of a former Wallaby front row is uh, great, and everyone knows that front row should rule the world, so we're heading that way. <laughs> Good one. Um, and, and, mate, what's it just, what's the uh, the feel like, the buzz there this year? I mean, you know, you guys have been through the ringer over the last 12 months or so, um, you know, with uh, changes and things like that. You know, what would you say it feels like now, com- you know, compared to a year ago? Oh, it definitely feels like a fresh start. Um, Obviously, the first game, we started off very well in the first half, um, but we just couldn't close it out. It's just very disappointing. The second game was a bit of a, a shambles for us, to be honest. Um, the third game, uh, we, we were really, even though we were disappointed we lost, um, we were really proud of the effort that everyone put in. Um, we had clear, clear uh, objectives of what, what we wanted to do that game, and we believe, you know, we we achieved them all but one, you know, which is winning, um, and that's sort of the benchmark, the physicality and the competitiveness and the, you know, uh, the, the attitude we brought to that game um, was sort of the benchmark of what we want to set for this season. Uh, I guess with the new coaching staff, new players, you know, it, it does take a while to settle and it's not going to click straight away, but it is a good feeling. And like I said, even though we did lose, you know, you walk into the change room and you looked around and it was more. I guess, uh, of a brighter feel uh, around the place and the players. And there was that feeling of, you know, it's, just, it's going to click very soon. Just um, when it does, you know, we do think we'll get a bit of a roll on and stuff like that. Just a matter of, you know, um, matter of time at the moment. But, you know, we've, uh, like I said, everyone's clicking very very well. It's a great group of players um, and blokes, which, you know, makes a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's exciting to be around. Yeah. No, well, I mean, you guys must have been. I mean, I, you know, watched that Bulls game, and yeah, you guys really, uh, really stuck it. I mean, one of the you did one of those great things you got to do to a Saffa side like that, which is that you just kind of kept the wind out of their sails for so long. Um, you know, uh, you know, really taking it to them. So, that, and considering, like you say, post the Kings game, I think a lot of people didn't kind of figured the Bulls were going to have that one pretty easily, but you guys didn't get definitely didn't give them an easy easy run, did you? No, well. We know they're uh, they're a fantastic side. They 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 can be very one dimensional. Um, you know they've got a massive forward pack. They run hard and they've got Mourinho Stein, one of the best kickers in the world. Put up high bombs, kick kick goals from anywhere. And we knew like if we can attack their strength, um, that pretty much nullifies their game. Mm. Um, and for large parts of the game, we managed to do that. Um, and like I said before, with the intent we defended uh, with was was fantastic, and being able to you know get some good line speed on the team, hit them behind the advantage line, and sort of get a turnover. It's really uh, it's a really good feeling around the team, and everyone gets behind each other. Um, and for the full 80 minutes, we knew that even when uh, reserves came on, there was nothing lost. Um, everyone's really prepared, and I guess uh, one of the greatest things for me is you know seeing Huey McMillan back in. Super rugby with some of the damage he caused um, on the weekend has caused in the last few weeks, and it's great to see those players on show and really firing and um, everyone following his lead. I guess. I, was, I mean, I'm glad you. That was exactly the next question I was going to come to, which was, you know, what, what's it like training and playing with madness? Is is he is is he mad? Is he crazy, or is he kind of me- <laughs> mellowed into a strong leader? Because he he really, like you said, he really led from the front, didn't he, uh, in that Bulls game? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, since, since he got here in um, October, we've, we've actually clicked very well as friends and we spend a lot of time um, together off the field as well. And he's just a, a down-to-earth, really nice guy. And he's actually, uh, 
he's one of those gentle giants, isn't he? Like off the field, he, he he'll do anything. He'll take his shirt off his back to help a mate, um, and he'll uh, just always has not not a bad word to say about anyone. But then when he get on the field, he's just like a different creature, and <laughs> he uh, he just he just goes a hundred and ten percent. And um, it's it's like I said for someone like myself, he's he's sort of. He's been at the highest point in, uh, of Australian rugby. He played at a World Cup and been playing very well. And um, he really he has fun. And to see him go that hard, it sort of inspires uh, everyone else, especially myself. Like I see him going, I just want to follow his lead. He's not a leader, in, as in he, he he speaks a lot and says much. Um, he he leads by actions, and um, it, he definitely does a great job in that. Yeah. Well, man, I, what would be lovely to see him is, uh, you know, see where, what he can do as far as looking maybe at that six Wallabies jersey even, um, you know, sometime this year. Who, who knows what could happen there? But uh, the impact he was having on that game was fantastic. Mate, I've, I've got a bit of a, a, a funny one. Like, uh, as far as a question, I guess, maybe it doesn't, it just seems uh, uh, a little bit off, but... Mate, after a build-up like that, it's going to go wrong. <laughs> when, you, when, you, like, when you go to a place like the Bulls, right, and you, you, you played them, what happens afterwards? Do you guys, you know, does everyone go for some sort of formal dinner and sit down and have a beer? Do you end up having a beer with, with some of those guys or do they just kind of grab a, a hunk of wildebeest and drag it off to a cave somewhere by themselves, um, <laughs> you know, naked in the bush or something? I mean, what, oh. what, what happens? I don't know which uh, National Geographic shows you've been watching, but um, <laughs> Matt, that, that, uh, yeah, Matt, that, Matt that, likes to Matt likes to project his fantasies on other people. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean, the Bulls guys, you know, they're all great after the game. You have a chat with them and stuff like that. But in terms of um, hanging out with them after the game, sometimes you do, but we pull out the next day and uh, we we just head back to the hotel, had a team dinner, and um, just uh, hung out with each other, and uh, you had a had a couple of drinks with the team and I guess just uh, enjoy the times together because I guess touring is the way uh, a lot of teams are formed um, and then that was you know quite a long tour for us, of three weeks and quite a tough tour as well so just we, we kept pretty tight and we stayed together as a team and I think we came out uh, the other side of it you know very well. Cool, alrighty. And is it different, uh, is there any difference say touring South Africa than New Zealand on that sort of a front usually? I mean there is either um, kind of culture more or less kind of hospitable in that way? Um, yeah, it, it is quite different actually because uh, you know obviously if you've been to Africa yourself, it's um, it it can be a um, scary place to some people, and I guess you've just got to be careful what you do um, at, at at times. Um, and I guess on the on the other um, spectrum. I mean, there's things you just you would not expect. You get to go to game parks, you get to see lions, tigers, and you know wildlife that you just don't get anywhere around the world. Um, but I mean, travelling to South Africa and New Zealand both have their um, their pros to it, definitely, and they're both great experiences. Okay, cool. Well, listen, mate, um, we probably we've taken up enough of your time now, I guess, and. You're probably uh, just about getting ready to have your cereal or whatever. Um, Timsey, <laughs> you, you, did you have anything you wanted to add? I've been hogging it so far. No, yeah, no that's all right. Uh, you've done an admirable job and uh, yeah. it's been good. Good one. Well, look, Nathan, thanks, thanks for coming on, mate. You've got the Reds this weekend, right? Yes, yes. So, oh, the, well, that, that's probably a good question. Are you looking forward to welcoming Sanchez back? Uh, Wilgenia? Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, yeah, no, he's, um, it's his first game back. I'm sure he'll uh, be raring to go. And um, he's, uh, you know, probably uh, the last thing on our minds at the moment, to be honest. We're just looking forward to having a good, like, you know, team performance. And we know it takes more than one man to um, uh, win the game. So 15 of us, I'm sure, will beat one of him. Awesome. All right, mate. Well, good luck there. Put the Queenslanders in their, in their place. Yeah, no <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Well, good to talk to you. Thanks very much for coming on. Jeez, thanks for your time, guys. Right there, right there, right there. So great having a yarn with uh, Nathan there. Uh, lovely guy. Um, but taking his place in the hot seat, uh, Scott Allen. Mate, how are you? Great. Good to be back on. Good, mate. And you're just... Fresh from, is it training tonight? And then you stopped by and watched a bit of a game, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So I left training a little bit early and went out to watch the ARU Brisbane Academy playing Junior Japan. So uh, one-sided game, 75-26 to the uh, ARU Academy. But some good talent. Um, Japanese, you know, I always think of Japanese rugby players as being really small. They had some big guys. You know, they just... They need to you know, learn, obviously, about contact. And that's why the IRB is paying for... Uh, so Samoa played the force, A, before. I didn't see that game, but the Samoan A team was there getting on the bus as I was arriving. I think, there was, so I think the, the IR- force got that, like, 30 to 11 or something, I think it was. Did they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so the IRB are basically paying for Fiji, Samoa, Tonga and Japan. Um, they've been in Australia for, I think it's three weeks, playing games against the AAU academies, the, um, each franchise is basically Super B team. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're off to New Zealand next, all the, after next week. So they're all off, and the IOB pays for those four teams to now go and play some New Zealand teams. And it's part of trying to develop you know, the island of rugby. Oh, okay. Well, that's but, not so bad. Yeah, it's a good concept. Mm. Um, and it gives our guys here some exposure too. Yeah. So that... Um Queensland AAU Academy is then the separate one from the Reds, whatever they're calling it, the Reds Preschool? What are they, what are they calling their thing now? Yeah. yeah. The Reds yeah. Rugby Preschool? Yeah. yeah. Okay. College. Reds Co- College. Reds College, okay. Which is effectively Queensland A. Yeah. And so there, Queensland A are playing on Monday night. Um, got to remember who it is. I think they might be playing Tonga on Monday night. Well, okay. So they, they are and, getting these games in. Yeah. Yep. So there are some guys that played tonight who are also playing for Queensland A on Monday night. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's good. It's in the pre-season. Um, you know, the guys out of the academies are playing games rather than just training. Um, yeah. So I think it's a great concept. Yeah, uh, there was some good rugby out there. Obviously, the defence wasn't fantastic from Japan. And uh, set out crowd, obviously. Sell-out crowd, yes. Um, they obviously sold out of the food because the food had closed by the time I got there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was never open. But, uh, Timsy was never, no, it wasn't even there. It couldn't have been... No, not my fault. <laughs> not, can't blame that one on me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there, there weren't a lot of people there, but um, as I said, it's good exposure for everybody. Yeah, oh, good one. All right, well, look, let's get stuck into um, what's been going on. And uh, why don't we start off with uh, last weekend's games, Reds versus Rebels down in Melbourne. Chronologically, too. Indeed. Um, Reds, uh, I'm trying to remember, was this another one where the Rebels let, let at halftime? 
Or was it a draw at half time? I'm trying to remember now. But it was it was damn near, wasn't it? Um, it ended up 23-13 to the Reds. I want to say it was about 13 all or something at half time. But um, it was another one of those where the um, Rebels put in a, a really you know solid first half and then kind of fell away. Um, how did you see it, Scott? Yeah, it was. I, I agree with you. I, I think actually the the uh, Rebels might have been leading 13-12 at half time. Yeah, Don't quote me on that, but yeah. but it was very close. They played a good half of football. The Reds, as we've all talked about in the last few weeks, are still building into it. But then in the second half, the Rebels, they didn't seem to drop the intensity too much, but I think the Reds just lifted a gear. Mm-hmm. Um, still a long way away from where they need to be. Um, you know, if they were playing a top team, in other words, if they were playing the Brumbies again, the Brumbies would have comfortably beat the Reds. Mm. But, um, you know, Liam Gill, another outstanding game. He's just... His form is fantastic. I think he's getting better. I think each game, he's, he's, in, in my opinion, he's got better this, this season. He's always been quick and accurate, but I think um, he's added a bit of bulk and size to himself now, and that's probably helping him out a lot. Mm. Yeah, not just bulk. He's, you know, he's just grown as well in terms of mm. height. Yeah. He's, so, a, he's uh, a legitimate line-out option now, isn't he? Yes, yeah. Very good. And, and he had a kick this week. So yes. this time he kicked, kicked with the right foot, a clearing kick, and... It was a good one. Found the sideline this time, yeah. Yeah, so Link actually said last week in the press conference that knowing Gilly, he'll be out on the park practising those kicks all week. (laughs) He's that sort of guy. He's just fanatical about getting it right. So the practice paid off. Um, Quade Cooper, I thought, played his best game of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, Very controlled. what What he had was the vision. So I think the first time the Reds had the ball... The Rebels were very narrow in defence. He put in a beautiful cross kick that Shipley picked up. Mm. So he's he's starting to see things that he used to see. The execution this week, you know, you might put it 75%. So it's all getting better. Uh, for the Rebels, I thought Scott Higginbotham had his best game of the year. I thought he was really good. Yeah. Well, he, he's, 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 I think he's starting to pick up a... A tighter game there is is my impression. He's hit, hitting a lot more rucks, making you know a fair few more tackles. Um, still making some bustling runs, but I think he's picking up some of the slack that's in in, in that Rebels pack. Is my impression. Well, it's really interesting. I've got an article ready to go tomorrow where I, one of the things I looked at was how are the back rows going? Yeah, and um, it sort of leads to where we'll talk about with the Waratah shortly. But when I went through. If you look at the Rebels' back row, and this is a measurement that um, Rugby Stats record, where they record the first guy into the breakdown. Right. And, and obviously, if there's two guys going at the same time, they give both of them credit. Scott Higginbotham leads, out of all the Australian teams, he is first into the breakdown beyond any other back rower. Wow. Jeez, okay. Even beyond our sevens. I was going to say, um, is that just sixes, or you're talking the whole back rows? Whole back row. The second is Jesus. Liam Gill. Um, who else? Ben Moen is third. Uh, Michael Hooper is fourth. Ed Quirk is fifth. Uh, Jake Schatz is very close to Quirk. So they're all up around. They basically are first into the breakdown, and, and Higgers and uh, Gill are both very close. Let's say, call it 9%. So they, they are first into the breakdown, 9% of the breakdowns for their team. Mm-hmm. Um, guys like Quirk, Schatz... Hooper, um, Moen are all at eight percent. 
and then you sort of drop down to Kimlin. When you look at the Rebels, Fugelaster, or Fugelaster, however you say it, he's only at 5%. Oh. So you would think your seven's going to be your, your highest number in your team. Um, and obviously they then had um, Gareth Delve there, but he's then been out. Um, oh. But it drops away. So Higgers is basically carrying the Rebels' back row um, at the moment. And yeah. then we, we, we talk about some comparisons for the Brumbies and the Waratahs when we talk about that go. Mm. Well, so, yeah, he, everyone says he seagulls out on the wing, and, and I always argue that um, a six, and I know he played eight last week, but a six is the only wide running forward you should have. If you're going to have one, you send your six out, and you mm. pick a six, well, I think you pick a six for that role. Everybody else has to stay tight, and you give him some freedom. So... He's doing that. He, he's getting the width in attack, but leading comfortably the Rebels back row. Yeah. No, well, um, well, it's interesting you say that, but that was my impression, um, you know, seeing him turn up a lot more in the tight, uh, which, is, which is good to see. Um, but uh, I guess another big question, Mark, and it's interesting to see, we did the, the team of the week, and one of the things I must admit I kind of scratched my head out a bit was, you know, who was the, the 10 of, of the week? Um, I think uh, because no one else kind of put anyone else forward, I stuck Matt Tamua in at 10, um, who I didn't think had a... Uh, well, in, in my my opinion there is, and we're going to come on to the Brumbies tiles in a second, but you know, he, I think he's playing a, a, a really nice facilitator's role. Um, but one of the other thing, people that... Another player that people were kind of putting forward, but there's been a lot of discussion around, is James O'Connor, because obviously he played 10 for the Rebels. Um, Tim's you've got you've you've picked up. He's got a a, a new nickname, haven't you? Oh, I don't know how new it is, but I've I've heard it used a couple of times. And um, old crowbar. <laughs> um, apparently, that's the only way you get the ball off him. So, <laughs> well, and, and uh, I think Bob Dwyer on the site's talked about that before. And I know you've got opinions on it, Scott, about whether your ten should you know be a facilitator or um, you know or first or, or a runner first and. His nat- his natural tendency is to take on the line whenever he can. Is that what you saw on 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 Friday night from him? Yeah, I think he took the line on too much. Mm. As to whether or not the first inclination should be to take it on or to pass, to a large extent that depends on who's outside you, mm-hmm. and you need to vary it through a game. If you know you have a high percentage of taking the ball to the line, you're not going to surprise the opposition. Mm. So you do need to mix it up. I don't think he mixed it up enough. The, the thing I would say is that there were a lot of people, including the commentators, you know, giving him a hard time about how deep he was standing. Mm. Um, he stood deep on four occasions in the whole match. So what did I have down uh, 18% of the times he had the ball in, a, in the traditional number 10 role, mm-hmm. he was standing deep. Compare that to someone like Quade Cooper, who plays very flat and on the attack, well, he stood deep 27% of the time on the weekend. Right. So O'Connell wasn't... I mean, the four times that he was back, he was very deep, no doubt about it. But the depth wasn't the problem, I think. And you do have to vary the depth again. There's no point in playing flat all the time, which is what Cooper did. He varied it. Sometimes he was flat, sometimes he was quite deep. But, yeah, I thought O'Connor took the ball on. Does that mean he doesn't have confidence in the guys outside? Does that mean, because he made the big statement that I want the number 10, that basically... He was being a ball hog because I want to show what I can do. Mm. 
I, I don't know, but he needs to mix it up a little bit. I, I have no doubt that they'll probably leave him at 10 um, this time. The interesting thing was that, you know, he only got the ball in the number 10 role 22 times in a match. So the Rebels just aren't using their 10 and a bit of width. They're, they're playing a very forward-orientated game. And as I pointed out last week, they're just going phase after phase after phase. Uh, there's not a lot of imagination in that attack. No, no, it's uh, it's 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 pretty simple. Uh, it's interesting because uh, you mentioned something that when I watch the Rebels, and so you watch them again have a great first half against the Tars and then fall away, and uh, the same thing against the Reds. I, I, I kind of sit there scratching my head, thinking, what are they doing differently in the second half? Um, that it has such a dramatic impact. And the only thing I could think of is that, you know, because in the, both of those first two halves, they, they contested the breakdown quite well. Um, and, you know, they did it across the park. So um, it wasn't just around the back row. It was, you know, also outside backs um, creating turnovers. And so it's obviously, you know, putting in some good solid defense, which makes that possible. Um, and some dominant hits, which makes that possible. Are they just running out of puff? And just not being able to make those hits in the second half, or, or because I don't think that they change their, their tactics drastically um, between the two halves, but it just seems to be the same thing happening again. Do you have any views on that? Well, I think if you look at where they've gone wrong, their last two games against the Brumbies and the Reds, they haven't scored a point in the second half, mm. and you know they've been scored on, but not. It hasn't been a horrendous. Uh, defensive problems that they've had in the second half. If it was fitness, I think that's where you'd see it. Right. You know, they'd start falling off tackles yeah. and the opposition would roll right over the top of them. I just think they've got a problem with their attack. Mm. And I think what's happening is teams are coming out preparing at them. And you would have prepared going into that game, looking at the threat of O'Connor. What could he do? Probably by half time, they've realised that there's not much on for him. Even if he tries to move it, he hasn't got a lot of support outside. Yeah. They recalibrate their defence slightly and they just shut everything down. And then you know, the Rebels have got nowhere to go after that. So I actually think it's the opposition working out what their attack's doing and just shutting them down with their defensive line in the second half. Mm. And sometimes you know, a bit of recalibration from the coaches... Um, in the halftime break can say, look, we're seeing things you're not. If you do this to shut them down, they'll have nothing. Yeah. And they've been devoid of attack two halves in a row. Yeah. No, it's definite. Um, it's, a, it's a real pattern that seems to be coming through. Um, all righty. So that's the, um, that's the Reds Rebels. Um, so let's move on. Uh, the Brumbies Tars. I mean, I, I don't know how long we really need to talk about this game. Uh... <laughs> I wonder if they're going to find the, uh, the the imposters that found the Tars uniforms because they were atrocious. They weren't good with their teams. Now you you watched this with uh, a beer in your hand. Were you watching it as a as a newborn Red supporter or as an old? Mate, I'm not. I'm not. I'm an Australian rugby supporter, mate. I support all the teams. My heart hurt a little bit because of the Tars, and yeah. the, it sung a little bit because of the Brumbies. So yeah. you know, it's it's. I, I can't lose, but um, yeah, it was quite disappointing to see how bad they were as a team. Yeah. Just just terrible all over. Uh, you know, and I said this. I said this in the pregame, but um, pregame. <laughs> I said this in the pregame when we we're talking amongst ourselves that. Uh, I was really impressed with Volavola, and I know that uh, 
Scott's nicked a little bit there, but um, yeah. I just like the way the guy has a crack, no matter what. Um, I think that's a good enough attitude, and the, the rest can take care of itself. But and how did you see that? How did you see the game, mate? So, I mean, where did it go so horribly wrong? I don't know. They were just terrible. 35-6 was the score. I mean, you know... They, um, they had nothing. Yeah. Just terrible. I don't know. I can't say specifics because it was just all very bad. Yeah. But the Brumbies also didn't let them play. Uh, the Brumbies were really good. Um, mm. Obviously... Uh, losing Pocock would have been pretty bad for most teams, but with Smith to step right in, I don't think they missed a beat. No. So yeah, it's just uh, <laughs> funny and sad. Yeah. And what Scott? What, what was your viewpoint on the on the on the way that the, the game transpired? Was it was it just that the Brumbies did they just cut the the tars off at source? Just kind of absolutely, you know, just strangled them out because I mean it, it it was a pretty awesome forward performance by the Brumbies, wasn't it? Yeah, the Brumbies were fantastic. They they cut the the Waratahs off everywhere. Yeah, the, there was nothing they let up with. I mean, yes, I know that um, when Luke Holmes came on, the line out. You know, it, is it his fault? Is it? You know, a lot of that to do was sorry. A lot of that was to do with the pressure the Brum, Brumbies were putting on again. Mm. Um, even when you know they were illegally doing it, they just wouldn't let up, and they wouldn't let up anywhere around the park. But the thing for me was. The Waratahs were absolutely devoid of any idea in any part of the game, I thought. Mm. Uh, I, was in, I was amazed how comprehensive the, the defeat, not just in the scoreline, but the def- defeat in every area of the game was for the Brumbies. Mm. And you look at it and say, what's going on here? We, we had all the talk of the fitness, and you look, particularly in that second half, at the forwards walking for the Waratahs. And they were seriously walking along, hands on hips. Are they unfit? And they've put so much time and effort into that. I can't imagine it's fitness. I think it's mental uh, fitness that is basically making them think that they're worn out. Yeah, poor attitude. Yeah. Or is the game plan just something that they don't believe in and therefore they're not trying, you know, giving 100%? I I can't see that it's that. Mm. Um, Or... Are they? How can you struggle to follow what looks like a pretty simple game plan? I, I'm, I have, don't have an answer. Mm. I sat there looking at all those things and saying, what was the turning point? And I think it's a combination of all of it. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, reading kind of between the lines, or actually you don't have to read too far between them, um, uh, with a lot of what Michael Cech has been saying since, um, and actually talking to a few people uh, just last night at the uh, rugby networking meeting in Sydney. Um, you know, I think what the management has identified there is there's just a problem with exactly what you just talked about is kind of player attitude and, you know, how much they want it. Um, I thought it was a fascinating um, comment by Chica, which um, was in uh, the Herald, I think it might have been, in the wash-up of the game. And he was just saying, look, the, the just guy's just not in position. You know, the, just guy's not, you know, the, you can't say the structure didn't work because the structure wasn't there. And it really brings me back to, um, you know, a point that Bob Dwyer kept making, you know, week in, week out, which is just, you know, the, the realignment in both defence and attack, but especially in attack for the Tars, just isn't there. It's just guys not walking off, working off the ball. And, you know, his whole thing was about, you know, why should you ever 
you know, um, in attack be watching people walk to, to position. You know, there's no, there is no reason ever why walking is a good idea. Um, and yet when you watch the Tars, you see it time and time again, there's people kind of walking back. You certainly didn't see that when you watched the Brumbies. Um, and you just watch them. I mean, it was, it was really interesting to watch because you see the Brumbies, they went out there, they, they knew what they were going to do. I mean, they're just such a well-drilled side at the moment. They knew exactly what they were going to do. And you just saw them grow in confidence as they saw that whole thing, game plan come together. Um, and you're exactly right, in my opinion, Scott, the way that you said once they saw that, they, then they just didn't let up. And they just thought, this is working. Let's just, you know, um, you know uh, close the screw even more. And, you know, that, that, that pushover try they scored, um, which was, you know, it was, it was glorious to watch on one hand and pretty, um, you know, pretty damaging to watch on the other, the way they just went through the tars like, you know, hot knife through butter. Yeah, they didn't even try and stop them. Yeah, yeah. It was like no. it was still too hard by that point. You're going to go in anyway. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I thought that was dreadful. If if club rugby players defended a driving mall like that, they'd be dropped. They'd be in reserve grade the Mm. following week. It Mm. was terrible. But it's interesting when you try to sell a game plan to players, and that doesn't have to be the big game plan. It can be one part of something. For so, for example, you might say to a player, to a group of players, "This is how we're going to drive from the lineout." And you'll give them your theory, and you might draw it on a whiteboard, or you might stand there and say, "I want you to do this." And at first, you see a few guys looking at you, thinking, "Really? Is that going to work? Why?" And you end up saying, "You know, we'll give it a try." And then sometimes guys get it, and then it starts to work, and all of a sudden you get momentum. People start believing and saying, "Yes, this is good," and then they buy into it. Mm. And sometimes they don't. And sometimes I find that I have a great idea that I've written on a piece of paper. And I've thought about and I've looked at video about and I'll go out on the training park and it isn't happening. And sometimes I abandon it and go, all right, we're not going to, you know, we tried that, it didn't work, let's move on. Mm. Checker is saying, no, we will not change. This is the way it will be done. And when guys are walking, I sense that they don't believe in what they're doing and they're not really that interested in what they're doing because it isn't, it isn't their game plan. It's mm. come from someone else who is insisting you will do it this way. And I understand you've got to do that sometimes, but they don't look like they're part of the same program. Yeah. But I you know, could be completely wrong, but I've, I've seen that sort of thing happen with some guys before. It, it could be that, but, you know, I mean, this is the, pretty much the same group of players who did the same thing last year with, you know, another coaching setup where, by the looks of things, it was all, you know, eight-man leadership groups and all sorts of carry-on. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, what I'm, I'm not saying it's the coach's fault. Yeah, because I agree they didn't believe in last year's plan. Yeah, it, it's it could well just be that there's a group of players there who just say, oh, "Mate, I'm just going to go out and play like I play. I'm yeah. a wallaby. Why do I need to, you know, buy into your plan?" Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not assigning who it is, but it looks like, as it was last year, there's no connection between the players and the game plan. Yeah, well, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens because I think. I think Cheek is already signalling where this is going, which is that, you know, it's a very interesting article saying, you know, oh dear, 24 Waratahs are off contract at the end of the season. Do you think Michael Cheek is worried about that? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think he's quite happy about that right now. Um, he, he, might, he might have an opportunity to get some players that are willing to put in. I think that's exactly where his head's at. And he's already made these noises. In the, now, obviously, you know, trying to change 24 players in one go is going to be pretty difficult. You know, don't think you can just go off and pick whoever you want. But 
Um, you know, I would imagine he's getting a firm idea on that little group of players that, that you just mentioned, Scott, who he thinks are just the intransigents now. You know, they've just been in that system playing like that or having that attitude for too long. Um, I could spend four years trying to change that or I can get a bunch of guys who, you know, who, who, who want to fight and, um, you know, and, and get, you know, get a bit of spark in them. And my suspicion is this is going to be a bit of a, uh, you know, a bit of a drawn out year now, but we might see some real bloodshed um, between now and the end of this season, I think. Um, could be fascinating. Yes, that could be really interesting. Yeah, so that those 24 players off contract, um, yeah, that might not be something that Michael Cheek is too worried about. He um, might be quite happy when, about that. When do you start that process? Mm. Uh, are they at a point now where that loss was so bad that he should start, you know, bringing in some other people this yep. week? I think so. Well, your problem is, like, where from, though? So, you know, it's a, it's a toughie, isn't it? Because... I mean, you know, just how deep, you know, how big is the depth there, though, um, you know, well, to, well, to, to really play at the top level? I mean, we saw what happened with the reserve hooker. I mean, that put, was it Luke Holmes? Um, yeah. Um, he just, someone said, I don't know who what he said to me, but he just looked like, you know, with about 40 minutes of that game left, he had that look in his face like, oh, my God, can, can this just end now, please? <laughs> You know, it was like if there was somewhere he could have buried himself on that pitch, I think he might have. So, I mean, if that's what we're talking about at reserve level for the Tars as far as who they're going to pull in when they start taking people out, I mean, it's not going to look any prettier for the rest of the season, I don't think. I'll, I'll give you one example. And I thought Sakopi Kepu the week before was ordinary. Mm. And Paddy Ryan, when he came on, um, was actually pretty good. Mm. Checker said this week, well, look, I know I'm a bastard or I'm a hard guy or whatever, but it's Sokopi's 50th game. You know, I'm not that much of a bastard yeah. that he would have made him sit on the bench for his 50th. Mm. I got a very uh, strong suspicion that there'll be no uh, sentimentality, sentimentality like that ever again. <laughs> you know, th- there's guys that... Look look what happened with Ben Robinson. Ben Robinson dropped to the bench um, in their first game, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. And then came out and had his best game for I don't know how long. Mm. So, but then sort of dropped back. I mean, there was nothing wrong with the way he played on Saturday, but he dropped back. He's proved his he point. Wasn't... Well, maybe. I mean, if you're going to pick, and you say Vola Vola, and I say, gee, you know, got a long way to go. But maybe it's worth, I mean, he looks like he's got a load of potential. Yeah, what that, that's what I'm talking about. He has a crack. At least there's what, someone in yeah. the team was having a go. What do you got to lose by bringing someone in like that? And they'll make mistakes, like Luke Holmes did. Um, I didn't see enough of him to say whether he's talented and should be persisted with. Mm. But Vola Vola looks like he's got some ability. I mean, when someone like uh, Beetham is back, I know he's got an ankle injury at the moment, but he was outstanding in the ITM last year. Mm. You know, does he demand a spot and start, you know... I, I made a comment in the forum that I, I'm wondering about Drew Mitchell. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that he was terrible, but I'm just not seeing it. And fair enough. With the injuries he's had, could you get back to the level he was? Well, some guys can, but a lot of guys can't. Yeah. And I just... I don't think he's operating at the level he was... And I know in the forum, you know, half the people came back and said, no, 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 we think he's getting better every week. And others came back and said, yep. And my question that I posed was, is it time to move on? 
bring bring in some young guys and let them make the mistakes. They're going to make mistakes and have a crack. Well, to your point, though, I mean, you've got to at least say, I guess the scenario I was painting was, you know, is it do you, you know is it carte blanche and do you just wipe out a bunch of those guys? And you know, the answer is, you know, you, you can't do that. But to your point is that you can at least say, look, this is a, really is an open selection policy. And regardless of your Wallaby or Waratah's caps, um, you know, if you're not, you know, if you're not delivering the goods, someone else deserves a go. Um, yeah. And, you know, if, if that Beatham or uh, what's the young uh, uh, Tom Kingston, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, what had he done wrong um, before he got dropped? And, you know, either those two, those those guys would have to be breathing down Drew Mitchell's neck. I mean, he made two shockers. Um, you know, as far as kind of drop balls in the twenty-two, um, which kind of said that the the head wasn't switched on um, in that, did, in that game. Yeah, when you when he made that second drop, the look on his face and the head was dropped as he walked back. Mm. You know, it looked like a guy who was just, oh, you know, here we go again. I've made another mistake. Whereas, uh, yeah, I don't, I didn't see what Tom Kingston did wrong. Give a young guy a crack. I'll tell you the guy, I, the first ch- change I would make is to replace Brendan McKibben with Matty Lucas. Mm. I didn't. I don't think McKibben is the problem, but, gee, I like the spark that Lucas brought to the... And I think that's what they need. They need some young guys in there with a bit of spark to mix with some of the experience, and mm. that, that might help them turn around. Is that is that the, the blonde 10-year-old who looks like Damien Amy? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, no, hey, you're right. can, can I tell you, the first time I watched him play club rugby at a premier grade level, uh, it was his first year out of school, and I looked at it and thought, you are going to get murdered out here. Mm-hmm. And no, he didn't. Right. <laughs> he can tackle. He's a tough little nut. Um, he handled himself very well at that level, and I thought he played really well on Saturday night. And that's some of the spark that I think they need. Yeah. Yeah. And if the if the more experienced guys sit on the bench and then it revs them up, mm. well, they'll be an awful lot better than they are at the moment because they're going through the motions. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be very interesting. I, I, I would imagine um, Chica will have a bit of you know most coaches get at least a, a season um, to kind of sort things through and and I think Mackenzie talked about it before. You know, usually it's a two year cycle of first years kind of sorting out who you want, and who you don't want. Second year you get them together and try and get them to play. Um, and I would have thought that would be the cycle here, and it looks very much to me like Cheek is saying, well, there's a bunch of guys here who aren't going to be here for the journey. So, um, you know, it's just a case of what do you do in the interim while he looks around. Um, and I thought that was a fascinating leak that he, he gave out that he was going to be talking to people, you know, Lions tourists. I'm not quite sure how many he'd actually be... I mean, you're only allowed one marquee player, right? So I'm not quite sure how much yep. of the team he can replace with Lions tourists um, <laughs> apart from one. But um, I guess he's signalling that he's definitely having a good look around the place, um, and uh, why not? But look, um, you know, the, the big headlines in that game, um, you touched on them, uh, Timsey. Pocock, uh, David Pocock with the knee. I was, uh, so I'm going to name drop here, um, Kane, and I'll come back to it um, later on. But um, I had a good old yarn with Jason Allen, the CEO of the Tars, uh, last night um, at the uh, networking event at the Sydney Rugby Club. And he said he was sat next to Bill Pulver when um, uh, David Pocock went down with that knee injury. And he said just, you know, he, Bill Pulver, everybody. And because Alan said, look, you know, uh, I might be running the Tars, but no one wants to see that happen to David Pocock. He said just it was a collective, oh, shit. 
um, when, when that happened. Um, that really is gutting, isn't it? Because I think it's confirmed that, you know, it's the ACL and he's out for the season, right? Basically, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was an A-shit moment. But I guess every cloud has a silver lining. George Smith, my God. Has the guy lost anything? If he is, I haven't seen it. Only the dreads, but I mean they went before he went anyway. So yeah. that was uh, the, my wife was the most most disappointed by that. Oh, okay. When when she saw, is that George Smith? Where's his hair? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you're working on the dreads now, are you, Tim? Yeah, mate, they're, they're growing out now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he was brilliant, wasn't he? Oh yeah. wow! I mean, you know, I mean, you you could have said, give the guy two or three weeks. He's a legend, but it'll still take a legend two or three weeks to lift his game from the pace of Japanese rugby. Mm. And yet, I think it took about, I think it was about seven minutes when I looked at it today yeah. before he did his first, oh my God, there's George Smith again yeah. Yeah. moment. Class is permanent, mate. Yeah. And oh. he's got it. You, you just see him doing that thing where he, he does this classic tackle. It's like a slide tackle, but he ends up around the ankles. And, he's, you know, and he brings the guy to ground, you know, just beautifully, just chops him. Um, doesn't matter how big the guy is, you know. It's usually those tackles um, off the back of the line out as well. He'll track the runner, take him down, and he's in one movement taking the guy down, and he's up and he's off tracking the next guy. And you just see that happen time and time again. He's just amazing. And then that hit he put on Tamani, um, not Tamani, um, uh, Falau. Oh yes. Which you heard, you know, when you're at the ground, you know, and you're listening. It always amazes me, you know, the, the, the slaps and the bangs that you hear. Um, which you don't usually pick up on on TV. It carried through ref cam that one, didn't it? Oh my god! It was like bang. Um, and uh, it, but yeah, he picked Falau coming on an inside line, didn't he? And absolutely stopped him dead. Um, quite amazing. I mean, if anything, maybe he's a, he's a little bit stockier, George, you know, than his early days, as as you'd expect. We all are, um, you know. But you know, it's it's added a bit of weight to his game. If anything, he's a bit more of a wrecking ball than he used to be. That I remember him maybe. You know, I was talking about those stats before about Higginbotham and how often he gets in first. <laughs> you're right there. Yeah, yeah, Curry. Mate, I, I, Speedway, mate. No, I've got, I've got, I've got a second job. I'm delivering pizzas, but you guys keep going. <laughs> so you know that I, I look at the numbers. David Pocock has played 68 percent of the minutes that the Brumbies have played. Yeah. And he's been first into the breakdown 5% of the time for the Brumbies. George, George Smith, Smith has played 20 minutes and been there. <laughs> 3%. So he's already, he's already he's, he's played one-third of the time, and he's got two-thirds of the times he's actually into the breakdown first. So just in that little bit of that game, he has already jumped right up the rankings of the Brumbies. Yeah. Yeah, and he's just... That's the fantastic thing about him. He is the classic on-baller... But if you look at some of the highlights of what he was doing in Japan, he has really added a lot of that attack. That Pocock, you know, in the preseason, they talked about trying to add that to his game. Mm. And, we, and we haven't seen it um, in the first couple of games. And, I, and regrettably, we won't see it for the rest of the season. Mm. But George Smith, you know, quite apart from I was gutted for Pocock and for Australian rugby as well, I looked at George Smith and thought, he's playing better than Pocock. Yes, well, he was. Yeah, I mean, you know, so far this season, I, I would agree. I would agree with you. Um, so it's an interesting thing. So I think that the public line is that he's only signed for three months, um, and then he's back. Right, he's back to Japan. But so two pieces of information that I've picked up 
One was um, about two or three weeks before this whole George Smith thing broke. And um, I think you'll probably, you'll probably remember, Tim, maybe Scott, you were on the podcast with Laurie, and I put to him, is George Smith coming to the Brumbies? Yeah. And he played a very dead bat and said, oh, I don't know. Um, but a week before that even, I'd heard a whisper that George Smith was coming back to the Brumbies and that he was hoping to have a lion shot. Um, now, you know, that seemed like crazy information at the time, but at least half of it's come true, which is that he was going to the Brumbies. So whoever my source was um, had picked up that, you know, a whole part of this idea was to come back and play internationals again, even though that's being poo-pooed at the moment. And then the second bit is I noticed that Eddie Jones um, made a comment in the paper basically saying, you know, he'd be crazy not to be in the national mix and he'd be pretty certain that, um, is it, I want to say, is it Suntory? Uh, who's the, yeah. um, that um, George is playing with, uh, that they wouldn't have a problem and actually contractually he probably would be able to play international rugby if he so chose. Um, so... I don't know. I, I think that my sense is this dream is well and truly alive, especially based on the performance he gave. The thing that I think might be the biggest um, stumbling block to this whole thing might be um, Robbie Deans's stubborn personality. You know, he, he you know, it was it was his decision that meant that George kind of moved on. I wonder if he would reverse that. But um, you, I think he already has. You, you look so? at his you look at his comment last week where mm. he said, "I'm only going to deal in realities." To I, I saw a comment the other day after Pocock has been injured where he said, "It's just a matter of what his contractual contractual arrangements are." Oh right. So okay. he's he's already switched from the hard line of it's not a reality, so I'm not going to deal with it. To we have <laughs> to now find out what his contractual arrangements. Get are. the lawyers on the blower. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, okay. and he was at the game live. You saw him there with all of the, the Wallabies coaches. Mm. Um, and they were all laughing and joking, I think, before it happened. But you didn't see any shots of them afterwards. No. They, they would have been mortified. Yeah. No, well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, gosh, talk about a change. Um, anyway, yeah, so good to see that. And I tell you, the, the other comment, I, I, I've made it so many times since Saturday. Um, and I think I've already made it once on this podcast. But... Um, one of Green and Gold Rugby's new favourites um, with the podcast, at least, Laurie Fisher. You know, if anyone's put their hand up for, for, you know, future forward coached for the Wallabies, surely it's him. I mean, you know, the impact that he's made on that team and that you, 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 consin- you know, um, continue to see it rise, even just game on game, but definitely year on year, um, is amazing. Um, he's just been making huge leaps forward in, with that team, I think. Um, I would hope to see if and when there's a bit of a mix-up again, um, his name in there, because I just think he's, I think he's brought so much to that Brumbies team, which it kind of makes me hope that they might even be in a situation where they can challenge in the, the overseas conferences. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the same thing there, Scott. Oh, I have no doubt. I think they're one of the top three teams, not just on the fact that they're leading the Australian conference. Mm. I think they are a genuine title contender. And they every time you th- there's a challenge thrown up, they deal with it. But it is based on that forward pack, and yeah, Laurie Fisher's doing a great job there. Mm-hmm. But you know, the other thing we've talked about the Tars, how terrible they were. We, we should say how good the Brumbies were, and in in all facets of the game. I mean, I thought Ben Mullen was 
fantastic again. Mm. Jesse Mogg, gee, can he keep that form up? Well, it's it's man of the match every game. Um, or that that level of performance, isn't it? I mean, he set up two tries again on the weekend. Um, you know, two tri- two of the four tries they scored. Um, there was his chip through, um, and, it's, and it's the different types of skills he's putting in. I mean, you, I think your video today, Scott, picked it out quite nicely. Beautiful long crossfield kicks into the corners. Um, uh, you know, clever little grubbers, um, reading the game really well, getting on the end of grubbers as well. And then there's these you know, counter-attacks that he did a couple of on the weekend, one of which ended in uh, Robbie Coleman's uh, try. Um, he's just, it's multifaceted. I think that's what's so impressive. He's not just a one-trick pony. Yeah, if you remember back to the first year the Rebels came into the competition, people got very excited that they brought Mark Gerrard back from Japan mm. because he had that long kicking game. Well, I reckon Mog's got a better kicking game and he's got speed that Mark Gerrard, you know, and not many other people can have either. He's He's got the footwork. People have said his failure or his negative is his defence. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, I've seen him miss a couple of tackles, but, you know, fullback's a very difficult position to defend in. It's like defending at 13. Yeah. You know, they're, the, they're two very difficult positions on a field. You're on your own. Um, I'm not seeing that as being a problem. Mm-hmm. I've looked at some of it and said, yes, it would have been great if he didn't miss that tackle, but... I tell you what, the Australian, well, I think the Australian fullback is should have been um, Kirtley Beale. He misses an awful lot more tackles than Jesse Mogg does, so I don't think defence is a problem either. No. Well, I, I'm extremely impressed. And well, I, the skill that I really like that you see uh, in, in his mix, and it goes with his speed, I guess, is how he uses the swerve variant of the sidestep. Um, you know, he really just the pace that he manages to keep up as he changes direction and goes three tackles is just quite astounding. Um, it, it's he's yeah he's he's quite a remarkable skill set. Let's like you say, let's hope this can continue through more than whatever it is three games so far. But it's you know he's player he's basically been knocking on player of the round for the you know first three rounds that he's been in. He reminds me very much of Chris Latham. Mm. He's got that long kick, which is a left-footed kick as well. He's got that turn of pace. He's great on his feet. Yep, I think he's looking really good. Yeah, it's going to add a, a nice little selection headache there. But uh, And it would, it would be really good. I think, I really hope he gets some blooding, though, in the uh, internationals, um, uh, I want to say, leading up to the Lions. Have I got this right? We've got um, in, in the calendar this year. Uh, is it... We we don't have any. Oh, I mean, no. I mean, uh, when's the rugby championship? Is that after the Lions? Yeah, it's after. Yeah, there you go. I'm talking absolute rubbish. So if if you're going to pick him, you're picking yeah. him in a Lions first test. Toughy, eh? It, it's very tough. But surely, if he what? keeps this form up, you can't ignore that. Do you know what though? Why is the Lions so different? I, I understand that you know once every twelve years, but I think we get a little bit hung up on that. If mm. this guy's good enough, pick him. Yeah. I mean, what, what are they going to do? Are they, be, oh, you know, we can't really pick uh, pick that player because, you know, this is a Lions tour that we're going on, so we better go with that old experienced one that, you know, you know it's, not, it's just not the way it should be done. He's good enough. Pick him. Well, instead of yeah. the question, I guess, and if you say that probably Beal's got the, the mortgage on 15, um, you know, with everybody else available, 
then I guess it's down to him or Beal, right? But, I mean, at the very least, it would be damn good to have some injury cover for Beal, who, um, you know, has had um, hammy twinges, has got dicky shoulders and now a busted hand. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at the very least, having someone that, look, if Beal was injured, you had him to throw in, I, I'd, you know, definitely wouldn't feel like we'd be, you know, it'd be, it'd be great to see him there, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mate, I think the difference there is that a Lions test with all their fans, with all the build-up, that it's once in 12 years, it's a bit like playing a Tri-Nations decider. It's a bit like playing a Rugby World Cup semi-final. It mightn't be a final, but there's all that pressure. It's you know almost akin to having to play at Eden Park in front of a massive crowd. That does funny things to people. Pressure just messes with your mind. And you've got a guy making their test debut... Can they play like that? At the moment, he's playing with... He's got no um, concerns in the world. They just have a crack. And his coaches are doing a great job by saying, have a crack. You know, if it doesn't come off, it doesn't come off. Don't worry about it. Our defence will fix it. It's extremely different when you're under immense pressure as that Lions first test will be. Mm. And if you've played, you know, a World Cup quarterfinal against South Africa and you've been through the cauldron of Eden Park against the All Blacks and you've been through, you know, last-minute um, games in South Africa with the crowd on top of you screaming, even though it's at home, there'll be a lot of Lions fans there. That's, that's a lot of pressure. That does funny things to people. And even worse, you know, you've had three weeks coaching from Robbie Dean, so... <laughs> yeah, that's the killer. <laughs> anyone can coach it out of him. <laughs> yeah, they'd say, mate, what what are you doing? Don't don't run like that. Don't run so fast. Run yeah. slower. So if we keep up because we're going to punch it up. We're going to do some pick and drives. Yeah. So if you run too far, the forwards won't be able to do pick and drive. So we'd like you to go at 50% of pace. Yeah. And, uh, mate, don't kick it so far because I don't know if our kick chase can get that far. <laughs> can you just sort of do some chip kicks so that we can get closer to the ball? That'd be nice. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Anyway, so poor, poor bugger. But anyway, let's see how he, let's see how he gets on. So, but yeah, he's been a wow. What a, what a guy to watch. Um, so before we talk about next week, uh, yeah, just a few talking points. So Digby um, has been a naughty boy by the sounds of things. He's been interestingly enough. I, I made a comment on on Twitter today. He's been stood down. Um, so this is before anyone's found any wrongdoing or not. I, I didn't see the outcome of the police investigation. Did that kind of just disappear into the ether? Because as I understood, they were talking to two people, um, some guy who sounds like he got um, uh, uh, kind of came off second best, some Melbourneian in the pub, and then it was either Digby and or his brother um, who were also involved in the altercation um, but all we, all I know out of the Reds is they've made a preemptive gesture of standing him down for this crucial match against the Force uh, this weekend, which to me sounds a little bit like getting ahead of the story. So if they can say they've already dealt with it, then they don't need to reopen it. Um, is there anything else out on it? I think that's about all we know at the moment, isn't it? That's pretty much no. all we know. Oh. No, I know more. Oh, uh, but is is this official more, or uh, do I need to ring the lawyers? Oh no, 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 no! It's 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 what I've heard okay. from from good sources. Okay, the bloke um, told me. Uh-huh. Digby's brother was talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> Digby didn't do anything wrong at the pub. Right. Um, it was his brother, the thirty-year-old, and Digby's the twenty-seven-year-old, 
um, who was there basically trying to break it up and there was a bit of pushing and whatever. Um, if there is any issue, it's with the 30-year-old, right. which is, I, I understand is Digby's brother. But what the Reds have jumped on him for is, you know, after a game, you shouldn't have been out at that time of night in a nightclub you know, or a, a pub or whatever at that time of night. You stayed in Melbourne when the rest didn't. And, you know, it was because you wanted to spend time with the family and yet you're out. Mm. Now, I understand he's not a drinker. So it's not actually that he's done something wrong, but apparently it's about the fifth time that they've said to him, your judgment is not good enough. Mm. You shouldn't have been in that place. And no doubt we're going to talk about it. You shouldn't have been in that photo in the hot tub. So, um, uh, it's, it's basically a little bit like you should have done your homework. Uh, yeah, it's a bit like that. Uh, but they, but you know what they have said is, we don't want this to get out of hand. And there are other guys in the team who potentially could get out of hand because they're all young guys, you know. And so we are going to make sure that the whole group knows if you put yourself in poor situations, particularly when you're a leader, and Digby is one of the elder, not the elder. Well, he is an elder statesman, I guess. Um, you just shouldn't have been there, and you've got to show better judgment, and the younger guys have got to look to you and go, you know, Digby wouldn't be in this bar at this time of night. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, there, there's nothing sensational in it, but it's just they're trying to make sure that this doesn't become an issue. Okay. But I find it really interesting that there have been public comments made that one of the reasons was he was in that photo with the others and that Jim Carmichael and Ewan McKenzie are livid about that photo in the hot tub. Oh, really? I haven't heard any. Oh, my yeah, God. I thought this was still, I've heard I thought Jimmy doesn't still, like it. I thought this well, was and, still and just a joke. No, no. No, they, are, they think that that is the wrong um, thing to portray rugby. It's just, you know, they're very unhappy about that photo, which I just say, that's bullshit. I mean, that's just guys having a bit of fun messing around in front of a camera. Mm. That's young blokes. You yeah. know, what the hell? Yeah. Well, I, and I must admit, we, so we put um, that photo up based, uh, on Facebook and on our front page. And really, I mean, we put it there as a, as a you know, tongue-in-cheek. Um, you know, they're mucking around. I think they're kind of hamming it up. And we've put it out there as to say, you know, you know just to you know, double up on it, I guess. Um, but it's interesting, you get, you know, you get very different responses. You get some really immature ones about people making comments about uh, homosexuality and stuff like that, which is just crazy. And um, we always delete those straight away because they're nuts. Um, but then I think it really, t- it's, it's really interesting. I think it separates people out. And I've talked to a number of people. Some people give me your opinion, Scott, which say, look, Especially if you talk to any, you know, twenty uh, odd year old, um, you know, this is what, you know, this is just what happens these days. They're just mucking around. Um, they're just hamming it up. They're having fun. Nothing's meant by it. Um, but then, and you see a lot of these reactions as people saying, "My God, is it, are these really supposed to be the guys that are striking fear in the heart of the All Blacks um, who, who are doing this sort of stuff and feel really disappointed by it?" And I guess that's what Ewan and Carmichael are kind of either expressing or worried about people thinking. Well, can I, I'll give you that. The, have you seen this thing, um, what's it called, the Harlem Shuffle? Yeah. You've seen that? Yeah, have you seen the Crusaders version of it? Uh, no. 
with yeah. all their all, all blacks in the change room doing exactly the, the Harlem shuffle? Do I have to watch it though? No, don't, don't. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll save but, it. But how is phone. that different from this photo? Yeah. In no, that photo, you know, they're, they're dancing and doing good shake. They're having a bit of fun. Yeah. So the all blacks are doing it. So, you know, it's good. It's good. Let them do their videos because that means when we play them next, we'll, we won't be afraid of Kieran Reid. Yeah. You know, it'll be awesome. We'll be <laughs> able to beat them. No worries at all. But, but until this photo went up. So, I mean, I think that's a really good discussion point, though. That might be something... Might, I think there's, there's an article in that. There's open, a post in it, for sure. Exactly, to open that up a bit and say, look, come on, are we just being, you know, for those of us or for anyone who feels that this is um, a big slight on the game, you know... To me, is to that me right? it's, along, it's along the same lines as the, the people, you know, after, after a Bledisloe test, them smiling because they lost. Mm. And it's not good enough. You know, they, they shouldn't possibly be saying g'day to a mate that plays for the other team and having a bit of a smile and a bit of a chat, and th- that's disgraceful. It's, it's just nonsense, too. You know, they're, they're friends. They they mix a lot in the same circles and having a yarn after they've done their job. Mm-hmm. Might not have done it very well, but well, that's that. Well, I tell you what, we'll, we'll, we'll open it up and uh, let people tell us, let us know. So... Whoever listening to this, you're probably sitting there ranting and saying... Comment section. Yeah, bloody idiots. What do they know? Um, yeah, let us know. But what we'll probably do actually is open up something. We'll put that... Um, is it Harlem... I want to say... Is it Harlem Shuffle? Harlem Shake? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a Harlem shake. something. It's Harlem Shake. shake. Yeah, Harlem it's Shuffle fun. is, I think, a, a Rolling Stones number from 1980s, which is probably more my speed. Um, Harlem Shake. Uh, so we'll throw the All Blacks one in there as well, and you tell us what's the difference. Um, as far as what's going on there. Um, anyway, okay, so that was good, a good bit of clarification there, Scott, though, also about Diggers. I must admit, I just saw on Twitter, just as we came on, um, Digby sent a tweet, and it's a picture of him opening a present, and rece- he's obviously been sent um, two watches, and reading between the lines, it looks like he's... And, and there's a note next to the watches saying, so sorry for the problems I've caused, or something like that. So... If the with the story that you were just telling there, Scott, it looks and he actually there's a hashtag is something about no no worries about it, bro, or something like that. So I um, it, that really ties into the story you were saying there, Scott, which is that maybe it was actually just the brother who was the one involved in it, and Diggers just happened to be there. But you can see why the Reds wouldn't exactly be happy about that situation. Um, alrighty, so. That's those things dealt with. Probably the only other piece of news or discussion point I, I mentioned earlier on, um, hobnobbing it at the uh, rugby networking meeting. Um, we, we earn nothing out of this, by the way, so plugging it. I just, it's just damn good fun, and uh, I'd recommend anyone come along. Um, it's at this, it, there's, there's the one that's in Sydney. I know they've been in other, um, uh, in other cities in Australia. Um, you can find it on LinkedIn. Um, if you want to see what's going on with it. But uh, it's, I think it's every second Monday of the month they have one. Um, the first one I went to, um, the uh, speaker there was uh, is Greg was Greg Groudon. That was a great, great night. And then just last night, they had the second one that I've been to, and it was Jason Allen, CEO of the Waratahs. Um, he came over and said, g'day. There was me and a few other Green and Gold rugby guys, and we had a we had like a 15-minute chat with him beforehand, actually. Um, uh, very nice guy, very engaging guy. Um, had a good old chat, and then he gave a, you know, probably like a 20-minute, half-an-hour speech. Um, and actually, most of it actually was questions, I must admit. Um, 
probably the key highlights I'd pull out, which actually came out of the uh, questions, um, and probably the, the key issue that came up because there were some people in there who from from club rugby. Um, I think the general manager of uh, Willoughby was there, um, and some and some others, or maybe it was Warringah actually. It was one of the W's, um, and uh, he. But so the big talking point was community rugby. Um, how you know club rugby? It's going to the dogs. What's going on? Um, Jason made a really interesting point. He said, "Look, basically, you, you got to remember New South Wales. The Tars, a uh, separate entity to New South Wales. We give over a million bucks each year by mandate. We have to for the license. So that money should be going back into the community." But very interesting point he made, which is that um, I can't remember how long ago he said it was. I think it might have been a couple of years ago that uh, New South Wales actually almost kind of outsourced their community rugby program to the ARU. So if your impression is that there's nothing going on, and a number of other unions did that, so if your impression is that there's nothing going on at a community level in New South Wales, it's actually not New South Wales who's running it. It's the ARU. So uh, that was an interesting uh, discussion point. Um, Explains a bit. It does. Can, can, can I, I have to comment on that. Go. One of the things, and I'll get, you know, Accused of being a biased red supporter. No. One of the yeah, well, fancy that. I will. Uh, one of the things that you and Mackenzie did when he came back in was to say we have to re-engage with the rugby community at mm. all levels. Yeah. It is the Reds, even though it's the QRU and the Reds, you know, are essentially a separate body. The Reds are driving the community program in Queensland. Mm-hmm. They've got. You know, everybody's connected. All their players are out there. When you're injured, they go out to clubs. They're working with the juniors. They're going out to club days. It's the Reds organisation and the QRU. They may be, you know, separate from a performance point of view, but they're the ones driving community rugby. And what's happened from what you're saying is New South Wales is separate. You've got a community rugby, and I will know we're the professional rugby. It's a bit like, you know, at school rugby where the first 15 gets everything and they have nothing to do with the rest of the school and maybe that's part of the problem well i mean and that was a deliberate well so you get your upsides and downsides though don't you so you say what upside do you get out of that well i guess the theory is that and you know um i'm not necessarily arguing which way it's it's worked when you look at the waratah's performance it's a hard it's a hard uh, argument to try and carry but you know, I guess the theory is that um, if you have an organisation whose focus is just on the Waratahs um, and therefore there is no problem with them being just focused on the Waratahs and it's just about making money from the Waratahs and making sure that Waratahs are successful, then that's going to be a more focused organisation than one that also has um, a role which is in the community and the clubs and everything else and that theoretically therefore is New South Wales. Now, but to mu- what New South Wales chooses to do and how they run that and whether they do a good job at it or not is another thing. But to, to, in my mind, I guess there's some logic in saying, hang on, there are two different organisational goals. One, you know, uh, growing community rugby and the skills and the things you need to do in that. Another one, making an elite sports team perform well. Well, that's, that's a ridiculous business model. I have to say that. How, where, where do you get your money? Where do you make money from the Waratahs? Essentially, you make it from a team that's performing well, so you get sponsors. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need people to turn up to games. 
Mm-hmm. How do you get people to turn up to games? You engage the community who are the ones who turn up. And the kids and the families want to turn up to see their team. Yeah. But if, but if that team isn't engaged with the community, all the little rugby players, the young juniors and the guys out west in Sydney and you know, all around the whole of Sydney, in fact, the whole of New South Wales, people won't turn up. Oh. And when they don't turn up, you don't make money. And where do the Waratahs of tomorrow come from? Mm. They come from that community rugby. Well, so I'm, I'm sure that if Jason was sat here, though, because he made this point yesterday, was his point would be, well, hang on, it's not like the Waratahs have drawn up the drawbridge and said, you know, we don't talk to anyone in the community. So his point was they made, you know, 1, 000, over 1,000 appearances last year in, in the community. Um, uh, and he said, you know, when you've got a certain playing group and people who are away on tours and everything else, you've only got so many people to do that, um, you know, it's actually quite a big commitment. So... I, I think what he would be saying in re- response to that was, well, hang on, guys, it's not like we don't do anything. I mean, we do the most we can with what we've got. And yes, Scott, he sees that there is a business imperative there as well. You know, if you don't connect with the community, who's going to come and watch the games? So yeah. I, I don't think he would say what they've done is to just say, you know, just pull up the drawbridge and say, hey, we, all we do is play rugby. Um, and I think actually what he feels is, you know, that they, whereas the Reds, have got a lot of uh, mileage and you know PR out of that. The Waratahs don't seem to. Um, now, I, I'm not saying that's a, some sort of conspiracy or anything. I just think, you know, I think know. I, that that was what he was expressing last night, which was he scratched his head a little bit because he's kind of saying, I don't think we could do more than a thousand community things like we did last year. Uh, it, it's not so much just the community visits. I, mm. I just think that, you know, the goals need to be aligned. Mm. The goal. You know, surely it has to be grow rugby in New South Wales, which is, you know, and you have a series of goals. You don't just have one goal, mm-hmm. which is to win the Super Rugby title. You know, you have a series of goals. It's grow rugby in New South Wales, which will give us better players, which will mean we don't have to go outside and spend money importing players, um, like Sorrell Pretorius last year, where they spent a lot of money to bring him in, when they could have, you know, if they were really focused on the community rugby, developed their own halfback. And there are guys around. Mm. Um, that'll then engage us with the clubs, which will mean people will turn up. Um, and it's simple things like when the Reds, for example, every time a member buys a Reds membership, they nominate which club they belong to and the Reds give them money back. Mm. It actually generates a bit of money for the clubs. And then the clubs start promoting it. They say, hey, join... And you know, they put on their own websites and their newsletters. And it becomes a bit of a... A, a self-perpetuating thing. It didn't used to happen in Queensland. I'll mm. grant you that. Mm. One of the things that Jim Carmichael and you and Mackenzie, they you know they both deserve credit for it. They have aligned the professional team with the goals of community rugby. It's not perfect. Mm. I'll grant you that. There's there's still lots of things, and I'm part of a club, and you know we have lots of complaints about what the QRU are doing about for clubs, but. It sounds like it's an awful lot better from what I've heard about clubs in New South Wales. And you know, I, I have to question the business model. Mm. Well, I think, so I think one of the things that uh, Jason said last night was, hey, no one thinks it's all perfect and no one thinks it's working, but um, you know, how do we make it better, um, yeah. I guess was his point. So I think he'd probably agree with you on a bunch of things there. Um, uh, so that was one of the points, and that was obviously a key discussion um, that they had. Um, 
I actually threw the question at him, which was, look, if there's anything on green and gold rugby that we see, um, as far as people having a gripe about the Tars, it's this, in, you know, and I did the uh, fingers, inverted commas, uh, entitlement culture. You know, what do you, you know, what have you got to say about that? Um, he was saying, look, yes, I have seen it in the past. Um, he thinks it's gone now or, you know, it's pretty much gone now. Um, he doesn't see it around the boards. But he said if there's any one person and part of the reason they brought him in who would definitely not stand for anything like that, it would be Michael Chica. Um, and he was emphatic on that. He said, if you know, the guy is um, a incredibly motivated about New South Wales and New South Wales rugby, um, and uh, and also you know just will not stand for anything that's going to get in the way of that. So um, he was pretty emphatic on that actually. So it sounds like actually Cheek's appointment. It was interesting. It was one of those statements that said, no, I don't think it's here, but I've brought in a guy who won't put up with it, <laughs> which kind so, of. <laughs> Yeah. Can, can I make, I've got two comments on that. Yeah. One, do you have some inside knowledge? Is it Chica or is it Checker? I don't know. I, I, I'm, Checker. Inmates, look, you, you never listen to the way Matt pronounces names. Otherwise, we'd all be saying <laughs> Which, yeah, Whichever way I but, say it, Timsy tells me I'm saying it wrong. Yeah. But back to the real business. Yeah. It's Checker. When you, when, it is Checker. Okay. When you say the entitlement culture, mm. do you, are you referring to players? Well, so... I'm, I guess I'm actually just trying to reflect what I think I read in the forum just better. Do you know, do you know what? I think it's the whole organization. And, and that's, think, that I was think, going to be my answer, yeah. And I, and I think the way, what, what you just said before was um, when, when said that they're neglecting community rugby, going, oh, but, but we made a thousand appearances. What more can we do? And is that part of the culture where they it, say, "Well, hang on, we handed all that to the ARU. Talk to them. Don't talk to us about it." Yeah, it's very similar. It's very similar to the way they go. Um, you know, they have the fan form. We go, but we don't kick too much. We we kick less than the Reds. Mm. You know, don't don't tell us we're doing it wrong. We kick less than the Reds. Don't tell us we're doing it wrong. You know, it's we made a thousand appearances. It's that it's that like uh, you know, yes, we're we're here to engage with you, but you'll not change anything about the way we're doing anything. Yeah. But, well, I, I thought it was interesting anyway that um, you know, the answer was, I don't think, I don't think that, that is here, but we've brought in a guy who's not going to put up with it. Um, but just in case. Yes, just in case <laughs> there was On the off chance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't reckon Michael Checker puts up with anything. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of him, I can tell you. <laughs> well, I, think, I think there's a whole team that's on the wrong side of him at the moment. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing he said, which I thought was really, which was very interesting, actually, he said, you know, we're talking about rugby in general, and he said, well, you know, when that whole, um, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember, you know, was it, is it the, uh, is it Asada, the um, whole drugs and sport thing yep. popped up? He said, you know, you know, one of the lovely things about being in rugby is that he could basically roll over and, and you know, just, you know, lie on the pillow and get a good night's sleep. Because um, he's, you know, he said, look, basically, as far as they're concerned, they've just, they've just not seen the problem. Um, they've just not had it within rugby. And you know, he said, you know, having he's been involved in league, he's been involved in AFL and everything else. And um, he said it's one of the great things we've got about rugby. And he said, you know, he's when you see um, league players or AFL players, and you see the way that our players are and and with people. You know whether they're just in the airports traveling or whatever it is. He said it's just chalk and cheese, and it's one of the things that's lovely to be involved with rugby about. And I thought that was uh, just a nice point that he made there as well. Anyway, it, there was lots more discussed, but they were the things that managed to stick in my head, um, even with a number of fat yaks um, <laughs> and, and 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 free party pies. 
how, how good is that? So that's the second one you've been to, and the meals have been pies both times. Oh yeah, or oh, and sausage rolls. You know, variety, spice of life. Um, God, I wish they had them up here. I'd love to go to pies and sausage rolls. Yeah, for free. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine it? I don't know why. I don't know why it's not packed to the rafters every time. Um, so there we go. Anyway, I think that's about it. the only other thing that we haven't talked about. And I was watching it on uh, on a TV show tonight. Some guys talk about it, and I'd be interested in your guys' view. You, you've mentioned it a couple of times tonight, Timsey. Homework with with these yes. with these with these cricketers. So I'll, I'll give you my view from what I've seen is that. I see two viewpoints put forward. And in fact, I saw this show tonight. It's called The Back Page Live. I think it's a Fox sports show. Yeah, it's a, yeah, a news, news show. Yeah. It's news an old show. Rough. Yeah. Revamped. Okay. So it's I a saw, good one. Yeah, it's good well, to watch. Billy Birmingham and... Well, he wasn't on it. usually on it. No, uh, he, on it. it used to be Mike Gibson and Billy Birmingham. And yeah, that's right. Mike Gibson retired and they gave Billy Birmingham... Ham the ass. Yeah, oh, really? he's, he's not on it. No, oh, I quite enjoyed it. No, it's a little bit. I think it's. A, I get the feeling it's a bit more straight laced. Uh, it's more serious now. Yeah. Oh, so but it's what, what, so, so what I watched is um, these guys basically talk them through, talk themselves through a circle. So they started off saying, "This is just ridiculous." You know, it's not about form. It's not about um, skill or whatever else. It's just because of some bloody homework. It's just crazy. Why would you drop anyone for that? That's just nuts. Just shows how they're out of touch and da, da 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 da, and so they all went off down that route, and then they kind of came around, and uh, one of the guys said, "Well, hang on a minute, you know, you're two nil down, being thrashed in India. If someone asks you to write down on a piece of paper two hundred words about what's going wrong and how we're going to fix it, that's not such a dumb thing to do, and you can at least just give it in. Um, you know, you know what's so difficult, um, and especially when you're in that situation, why wouldn't you do it?" And so, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been, I've been. Why isn't that the answer? How could you possibly? How can you defend it and say, yeah, no, something that my coach asks me to do is should actually be optional. And you know, if as a string of things that I'm obviously not doing, on top of poor performance, I don't do that. Why should there be any consequences? Yeah, I, 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 I totally know. agree. Mickey Arthur has won a lot of respect from me for this. Yeah, good on him. I mean, it, am I missing something here, Scott? As a coach, I can't believe that. You'd take the opposite view, surely? No, I. Um, for example, I, I can tell you that when I'm coaching my lineouts, I I will not, and I made the mistake a little bit last year of giving guys here's your printed lineout, here's the calls for this week, and who's in what spot. Now I won't do it. I say no, and I had a bit of a rant with them the other week because I say you bring a book along, you write down what the lineout calls are, mm-hmm. you do your homework, you study it. I'm not going to feed you a piece of paper that where you just look at my piece of paper you have to write it down and think about it and we went out and had a really poor line out session the other day and i i didn't do my nut but i sort of said to them not good enough not acceptable if you guys don't do your homework and you don't turn up on thursday night and improve the performance well then you know i am going to make selection decisions and to their credit thursday night they'd done their homework and we had a much better performance and it was just They'd gone through and gone, oh, yeah, it'll be right. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to get selected. You know, I might be the, you know, the, the, the important guy in the team or whatever else. Um, and, and I think that's what's happening. You know, someone like a Shane Watson was one of the guys, and he's got other stuff going on in life, obviously. His first child, I'm, I'm, that would make it very hard to concentrate on cricket. But, mm. you know, if the coach says, and they, they sit down as a group and say, what are we going to do? We're going to be better at what we do. 
great, here's a bit of an exercise I want you to do and you don't do it, good luck, you dropped. Yeah. No, I, I think it's got to be the way. I don't, I don't, I don't see how it can go any other way. Um, and I, I'd much rather see this fall out now than think that actually that sort of stuff was being put up with because it feels to me like that's obviously been being put up for, for too long. Um, Interesting reactions, wasn't it? Shane Watson, and as I said, he's got lots of other stuff going on in life, said, oh, well, I've got to have a bit of a think about my future. And his agent has said he can make more money playing T20 than playing for Australia anyway. Mm. Um, whereas James Pattinson, a young bloke, has gone, yep, I didn't do it. I deserve to be dropped. Yeah. Yeah, I heard a couple of good comments from some of the younger guys. It was good. Yeah. So anyway, I just I thought, but the thing I can't understand is when you see these pundits trying to somehow say that you know it's crazy that they have been. I just I don't know how you I don't know how you argue that. Um, well, it's interesting though when you say pundits, you know, don't forget Ian Chappell, probably the best Australian cricket captain ever. Mm-hmm. I think um, he said this is rubbish. So I think what it is is it's more a way. It, it's an understanding of dealing with this younger generation. Mm. I mean, I'm an old bloke, and I struggle sometimes. So I look at them, and you know, I even with my own son, I go, you know, who's in his twenties, you know, I go, I, I have to think about it a different way to how I used to think about it. Yeah, and it's really difficult, and you know, I, I can understand that. You know, someone like an Ian Chapel would say, well, that would never have happened in my day. It's extremely different in what used to be our day. Mm-hmm. Ian Chappell's older than I am, but, you know, it, everything's different now. And it's like we talked about that photo before. Yeah. You know, whereas if that had happened 15, 20 years ago, it would have been just the most disgraceful thing you've ever seen. It's different today. And so, you know, sometimes you have to put a bit of discipline in, and I think they've done the right thing. Mm. Yeah, no, for sure. Um Alrighty, so um, anyway, let's, let's hope that that means that maybe this Aussie team, this is a bit of the storming they need to form um, ahead of the Ashes, otherwise it's going to be a fucking long year of cricket, that's for sure. <laughs> um, the Poms are loving this, I, can, I, 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 I think we all know that. Um, no, there's only one way to fix the Australian cricket team, and that's bring Warney back. <laughs> oh, Warney! <God. Warnie>. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that'd just be another soap opera, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> Alrighty, so look, let's, let's look ahead to next week. So uh, Friday, uh, Friday Arvo, we've got uh, Highlanders Hurricanes. So Highlanders having just been done by the Cheetahs. Um, I didn't see that match, but um, God, uh, you know, I would imagine they, they would have had a kick up the ass. So it's going to be interesting to see them against the Hurricanes, who uh, beat the Crusaders last week, didn't they? Got that right? They did yeah. at one point. Yeah. And only because the Crusaders tried to play expansive rugby when they already had the game won and they'd already secured a bonus point try and yet they still kept going at a million miles an hour and Whitelock threw a ridiculous pass, mm. which cost them the game. But oh. I'll tell you what cost them the game. That, that happened and they were one point down and the Crusaders forwards trucked it forward beautifully. They controlled the game. They looked just like a New Zealand team right in front of the posts, 25 metres out, and Dan Carter missed another field goal. Ooh. Like he did in that last test last year. Mm, enjoying that. Okay. Well, um, long may that continue. Um, then we've got, well, you know, the giant killers are back. Uh, fresh from dispatching the Highlanders. 
um, on a roll from last year. It's the Cheetahs uh, at the uh, SFS um, against the Waratahs. So that's uh, you know twenty to eight Friday night. Uh, this is good. this is a sticky one, isn't it, for the Tars? Um, Cheetahs. <laughs> did, did either of you guys see any of? I, I haven't seen. I, I know for a fact the Tars will win. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Cheetahs or Waratahs? <laughs> We don't know. Uh, yet. The, the, the Very good, Timsy. Hey, doing? Uh, okay. Well, anyway, gosh, it's going to be. Oh, I, life will not be worth living for that team if they don't win this Friday night. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. Hopefully, it won't be uh, pissing down. There might actually be some at the, some people at the ground. Um, Saturday, um, oh, early Saturday morning is the Kings hosting the Chiefs at Port Elizabeth. I guess it is. Uh, and then in the Arvo, we've got Crusaders Bulls. Oh, that's going to be a bruiser, that one, eh? Oh, that's going to be a great game. Oh, God. That's going to be it. Yeah. Oh. Um, so, because the Bulls, who did they? They polished off someone last weekend. Who was that? The Blues. The Blues, yes. God, that was a good game. That yeah, really came pink, alive. The Pink Bulls beat the Blues. Yeah, they did. Um, but that was a cracker towards the end of that match. The, the, I'll tell you what, John Kerman gave him one hell of a rock. Um, Serge, Serge AK gave him one hell of a rocket at half time and he actually which he kind of shared with the camera um, and I just caught the second half and the, the Blues really came out firing but the Blues uh, Bulls managed to just hold on uh, and then we've got Reds Force uh, so that's in the evening anyone see an upset here at home for the Reds Will uh, how do I say it now uh, Genia Will Genia is Genia. Be, will Genia. 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 The genius back. <laughs> the genius. The little genius. Uh, will, 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 will Genia. Uh, will Genia, Genia. Is back. Genia. <laughs> so is, is that a slam dunk? It's going to be fascinating to see the difference he makes to the team. I mean, I know Nathan said in the interview, oh, he's only one man, but I'm not sure anyone believes that, do they? He said, actually, the, the quote I took out of that was, uh, there's 15 of us and one of him. So I don't know what who's going to be marking the other 14 reds, but... Uh, <laughs> They'll definitely have Wilgenia sewn up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Well, that's exactly what Quake Cooper needs, can I tell yeah. you? If Wilgenia is attracting even two of them... He needs then, a foil. And then Genia's Quake Cooper will, I think, start to show what he can do. Yeah. So, well, With both Ant Fianga and Will uh, Genia back, that, that, that could really see a different Cooper. So that'll be interesting to watch for sure. Um, yeah. On Saturday night. And then finally, uh, away in Durban, uh, the Sharks hosting the Brumbies. But that's like, oh, just two in the morning. Um, well, it's one in the morning, uh, your time. Two in the morning, uh, proper time. And, uh, well, that's a big test for the Brumbies, isn't it? On the you road. know, I might actually get up to watch that game live because yeah. I think it'll be that good. It could be a ding-dong, that one, couldn't it? Two, two teams, great defence. Um, Oh no, sorry, I'm talking about Stormers, aren't I? Sharks. I haven't seen much of the Sharks this 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 year, but they they've been in a few knockdown, draw out games, haven't they already? Them and the Stormers. Um, yeah. And uh, I think who who did they play last weekend? Though I think that was another the Kings, wasn't it? Yeah, that they was played an, the Kings last. Week. That was another trialless game, I, I, if I if my memory's right. I actually sit uh, just near a a uh, Shark supporter, and he was very impressed with the game. So okay. <laughs> it was probably very shit. South Africans, <laughs> very impressed with it. It's not worth watching. South African derby, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so anyway, uh, yeah, that's going to be a real tester for the Brumbies. Let's hope that could be the making of them their season if they can get some points on the road there. 
so yeah, it could be fascinating. Perhaps one for staying up for. Um, otherwise, that's it. Any other comments, fellas? Anything else? Nah. I think we've nailed it. Just been good. Yeah. Good chat. Yeah, nice one. Um, good to talk to you boys. Have a, have, a, have a good weekend and we'll see you next week. Thanks everybody for downloading, listening, whatever else. Um, remember to share your thoughts, any questions. Um, hopefully you noticed, I don't know if, if people had, we had at least two complaints in two separate weeks that we had the wrong, this shows the sort of site we are, that we had the wrong engagement calls in our intro. Yes. Um, we need to update that. And well, they, they have been. That shows what you've been doing, Tim. So you haven't been yes. listening. Because they have been updated. I told you. I said that in the beginning. I don't acknowledge a show that I'm not on. So, <laughs> gee, we're so, gee, we're impressive if we fix that. We have show, show eighty six is uh, good. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So yeah. Um, anyway, thanks for those who noticed. Shows that some people listen. At least they listen to the front credits. Um, yes. Uh, but yeah, thanks everybody for downloading. Um, we haven't lost them by then. No, exactly. And uh, thanks for letting us come in your ears. It is a bit later this week. We'll hopefully be back on track uh, next week. Um, and see you next Tuesday. Cheerio. Good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>